H-Y-Y and Billy Penn. It is hitting season. Hey there, podcast pals. I'm John Stolnes from The Good Fight and Billy Penn. Coming up on this episode of the podcast, we'll give you the latest hot stove rumors, a big article from Jason Stark in The Athletic with a rundown of what the Phillies are thinking at this moment uh, with the winter meeting still a couple of weeks away. But some stuff here on Aaron Nola, their search for a potential replacement. Josh Hader changes to the lineup. We also had Jim Salisbury get back into the mix uh, with a um, with a, a surprise uh, uh, rumor that I think uh, caught a lot of us off, off guard. So we'll talk about that. Some Phillies rule five moves. Uh, they uh, made a couple of trades this week and uh, left one of their better prospects unprotected in the rule five draft. And uh, are the Phillies the team in Major League Baseball that needs to win a title the most? MLB.com ranked those teams, and uh, I'll tell you where the Phillies finished in that list as well. So we're doing all that here on this episode of Hit and Season. But let's jump right into the hot stove rumors. And as expected, Aaron Nola rejected the Phillies' qualifying offer. In fact, all of the free agents who were made a qualifying offer have rejected them. Uh, the qualifying offer was a one-year, $20.35 million contract. And hey, listen, that's a good deal of money. But we all know Aaron Nola is going to get a whole lot more than that here in free agency. If Nola does sign with another team... Rejecting that qualifying offer means that the Phillies will receive a compensatory pick following the fourth round of this year's draft. And so Aaron Nola turned down the qualifying offer, as did Blake Snell, who won his second Cy Young Award on Wednesday. Uh, The Twins' Sonny Gray, Josh Hader of the Padres, Cody Bellinger of the Cubs, Matt Chapman of the Blue Jays, and Shohei Otani of the Angels, again, all hitting free agency, having declined the uh, qualifying offer. If the Phillies sign one of those other six free agents, and I know they've been linked to Josh Hader and Sonny Gray's name has been mentioned, Blake Snell, the Phillies would have to surrender a second and fifth round draft pick in addition to $1 million in international bonus pool money. That's because uh, they are over the luxury tax. And if the Phillies sign two qualified free agents, they have to give up a second, a third, a fifth, and a sixth round pick in addition to $1 million in international bonus pool money. So when we're throwing these names around of different free agents, the Phillies could go out and sign. I'm thinking they may try to avoid one of those qualifying offer guys. They seem to they seem to sign a qualifying offer guy pretty much every offseason, but you can't keep doing that year after year after year. So uh, that will certainly factor into some of the players that they might be interested here in free agency. Uh, right now, uh, the Phillies, along with the Braves, the Yankees, the Mets, the Dodgers, Rangers, Padres, Angels, and Blue Jays are all going to have been over the luxury tax for the 2023 season. Now, one of those teams that's interesting is the Atlanta Braves. And Do they want to stay over it for a second year? Do they want to continue to have a payroll that's over the luxury tax? They may, depending on how motivated ownership is, but would they be willing to give Aaron Nola the kind of deal that he wants, a deal that would likely put them over the luxury tax? I think that's one of the reasons why the Braves, I don't necessarily think, are a favorite to sign Aaron Nola here, but uh, we'll see how things play out over these uh, next few days. And I did want to get to this Jason Stark article in The Athletic, because this came out on, on Wednesday morning, and he essentially just did a full rundown on what the Phillies are thinking. There weren't a whole lot of incredibly needle-moving nuggets here, but it does give you some insight into how Dave Dombrowski and the rest of the Phillies front office is thinking right now. So 
Just going to mention a couple of different things here from the Stark article. Rival executives say they wouldn't be surprised to see the bidding for NOLA push him to a seven-year deal, likely at a higher average annual value than what the Phillies offered last spring. Uh, the Phillies were offering, according to Stark's article, about $25 million a season. Uh, so now it's kind of looking like it's going to be more than that. My prediction was a six-year deal at about 27 to $28 million. If it's seven years... At that money, that is a that's a big contract. It's a big contract, but if if he's the guy they're targeting as their number one, the Phillies usually go out and they get their number one target. But it's just it's just unclear exactly how far the Phillies are willing to go and how badly they want Aaron Nola back. So if the Phillies are willing to go there. They would often they would it would factor into some other decisions because you've also got to sign Zach Wheeler to an extension, which I imagine will be a priority this offseason. Um, according to Major League uh, sources of Starks, who attended the general manager meetings last week, the Phillies were already busy laying the groundwork for life without Nola if it comes to that. So Dave Dombrowski, Sam Full, the rest of the front office doing their due diligence to make phone calls to potential free agents and their agents, as well as looking at the trade market. The Phillies are telling agents and other clubs that they're open to multiple scenarios to replace Nola's innings and presence. If Corbin Burns, Tyler Glasnow, or Shane Bieber get traded, Stark reports that it's unimaginable Dombrowski wouldn't be in that mix. So what he's saying is he'll be making phone calls to the Brewers, to the Rays, and to the Guardians to gauge interest. But the Phillies also, um, he said the Phillies also have enough depth concerns that they would seem more likely to sign a non-ace type free agent or two than to blow out their farm system to trade for an ace approaching free agency. That I don't think would go over as well with the fan base, because what have, what have we heard about these Phillies over the last couple of years? Why, why they're such a dangerous team in October? It's because they have a top two at the top of the rotation and that you can start in games one and two, and then in games five and six of a playoff series in Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola. And going out and signing two lesser guys to fill the void doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So I do think they're going to, you know, Dave Dombrowski has said, we want a number two. We want to go out and get an Aaron Nola replacement if they can't get Aaron Nola. Uh, Stark did say that there is one often rumored name they appear to be just lukewarm on, and that is Blake Snell, whose walk rate, inconsistency, and lack of year-in, year-out volume make him almost the diametric opposite of Nola. And that's what I wrote in my Good Fight article about Blake Snell last week, is that if you're, he is the anti-Nola, essentially. He's exactly the opposite kind of a pitcher in terms of stuff, in terms of what he's good at, what he wasn't good at last year, um, consistency on a year-in, year-out basis. Uh, but however, the upside with Snell, as we saw this year, when he's getting guys out with runners in scoring position, Blake Snell is incredibly good. Um, Stark also noted that if Nola does leave the Phillies and Yamamoto uh, goes to a team with a richer history of Japanese players, Blake Snell could still be in play for the Phillies. And and Stark did not directly address the Yamamoto uh, rumors, but we're going to get to those uh, here in just a second. Continuing on, uh, Josh Hader, the talk shows in Philadelphia, Stark writes, are beating the percussion section for free agent Josh Hader, but don't make that bet. This is ex essentially what Justin and Liz and I talked about on the podcast a couple of days ago. Uh, the fact that he only wants to be a ninth inning guy. 
and that he only pitches when he feel when, when he's not tired, when he when he feels like it, and that he won't pitch multiple innings. He won't be an eighth inning guy unless the Phillies radically changed their philosophy in terms of relievers. Josh Hader just does not fit because Rob Thompson wants a guy wants who wants relievers who can be flexible. He has not thrown a regular season pitch before the ninth inning since 2021. So Stark throwing cold water on any Josh Hader rumor that you might see out there. As for the lineup, we have heard we you know we heard during the GM meetings that the Phillies were open to trading Nick Castellanos, and then we heard from other sources that you know the Phillies were shutting that down. The Phillies were not interested in trading Nick Castellanos. Stark is on in the camp of the former. He wrote clearly: the Phillies let it be known they were open to dealing the free swinging Castellanos, who chased nearly forty six percent of pitches outside the strike zone in the postseason. One rival executive quoted in Jason's story said, quote, I'd be shocked if someone called on him, to be honest, because that's just not a good contract. But I guess that if somebody did call, the Phillies would say yes in five seconds. So what I take from that is that the Phillies would be willing to move Nick Castellanos in order to get some of that swing and miss out of their lineup and maybe change things up a little bit. Uh, but it doesn't sound as though there's a whole lot of interest in there for, in Nick Castellanos out in the trademark. And he's he's still got three more years at $60 million left on that contract. Uh, he, was, he was decent for a lot of last year, very good at times. But um, of course, we all know the Nick Castellanos story by this point. Uh, Stark reported that the Phillies could trade from their inventory of young outfielders to add pitching this offseason. He said they'll be shopping for a right-handed hitting corner outfielder who could be part of the left field mix, which kind of surprised me because I thought maybe they liked Christian Pache, they liked Johan Rojas as potentially one half of a platoon out there in left field and that they might look for a left-handed hitter. But uh, it sounds as if, you know, Justin mentioned the name Adam Duvall on the last podcast, and I think that's a name that makes a whole lot of sense, but uh, Stark also throws Hunter Renfro into the mix, Eddie Rosario into the mix, and uh, Whit Merrifield into the mix. Now, uh, Eddie Rosario and Whit Merrifield are both left-handed hitters, as, as far as I know, so it sounds as though the Phillies aren't necessarily settled on right-handed or left-handed help for the outfield, but uh, the Phillies have several days of meetings this week with their pro scouts to kick around questions like that one. Uh, that's according to Jason Stark. And Jason had some other things in his article uh, that you'll want to check out, so um, his stuff is over at The Athletic, as you well know. All right, jumping on to some Jim Salisbury comments. Now, Jim, of course, we all know was the inside guy. He's the guy, whenever the Phillies actually made a move, Jim wasn't one of those guys who was leaking rumors all the time, but when Jim tweeted something, Generally speaking, a move happened an hour later. And so uh, Jim was on 94WIP this week, and he said that he believes the Phillies have interest in 25-year-old Japanese pitching phenom Yoshinobu Yamamoto, maybe the best starting pitcher on the free agent market. He said, I hear they have legit interest in Yamamoto, and to me it makes a ton of sense. I know they don't have a history with Japanese players, but why not start one? Now, that runs contrary to some of the reporting we're seeing in national circles. Uh, Jeff Passan of ESPN listed the team's interested Yamamoto as the Yankees, Mets, Cubs, Red Sox, and Dodgers, as well as perhaps San Francisco and Toronto as well. No mention of the Phillies. However, Todd Zalecki for MLB.com also said, don't be surprised if the Phillies make a run at Yamamoto. Yamamoto, five years younger than Aaron Nola, uh, throws four incredible pitches. We saw him at the World Baseball Classic. Uh, he 
is the next impact Japanese starting pitcher to come to Major League Baseball, and most of these guys have done really, really well once they hit the big leagues. It would be really fascinating if the Phillies were to make a play for Yamamoto and actually land him. What a sea change that would be. It's just hard to imagine them going out and signing a Japanese import like that. Looking at some Phillies Rule 5 moves, the Phillies made a trade this week dealing away slugging infielder Oliver Dunn for two top 30 Brewers prospects, infielder Robert Moore and outfielder Hendry Mendez. Uh, MLB Pipeline says that Moore will be ranked as the Phillies' number 25 prospect, and Mendez will become the number 30 prospect in the system. So these are not guys who are knocking on the door of the majors. These are not guys who you get necessarily excited about, but evidently there may be some things in these guys' tool belts that the Phillies like and think that maybe they can can help them out with. Uh, Dunn is 26 years old. He was just named the Arizona Fall League's breakout player of the year, but he's also 26 years old. Uh, he was eligible for next month's Rule 5 draft. The Phillies were going to have to add him to the 40-man roster, but the Phillies decided not to do that and instead traded him away to the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, so they swapped Dunn for two younger prospects who do not need to be protected just yet. Uh, Moore batted 233 with eight home runs, 62 RBIs, and a 682 OPS in over 560 plate appearances at High A Wisconsin. Mendez, who is 20 years old, batted a combined 258 with three homers, 30 RBIs, and a 679 OPS at the rookie level and high A ball last year. So again, neither guy lit the world on fire in the minors last season, but these are the kind of moves you make uh, just ahead of the Rule 5 draft when you need to get rid of a guy on your roster who you don't want to put on the 40-man, but has some trade value out there. And uh, and, and clearly, we saw that uh, Oliver Dunn had a good Arizona Fall League, and uh, the Phillies decided to take advantage of that and take a flyer on these two kids from the Brewers system. Now, the Phillies did not protect anyone from the Rule 5 draft. Their 40-man roster currently sits at 38 players, and the Phillies, I thought, made an interesting decision on one of their prospects in particular, leaving outfielder Carlos de la Cruz unprotected in the Rule 5 draft. This is the big, tall first baseman who hit a bunch of home runs uh, for the Phillies in Reading last year. Um, he's their number six prospect, according to MLB Pipeline. So he can be taken by any team in the upcoming Rule 5 draft, but he has to be kept on their big league roster the entire season or offered back to the Phillies. Now, I could see Carlos De La Cruz being added by an also-ran team who could use a cheap first baseman. He's 24 years old. He played the 2023 season in AA Reading, so a little on the older side. He had 259 with a 797 OPS, which is pretty good. 24 homers, 25 doubles, and 67 RBIs in 129 games. Uh, he's playing in the Dominican Winter League right now. Uh, just playing, he's just had six at bats in four games so far. So no real stats to tell you about. But I thought it was it's an interesting decision for a player who as a first baseman enjoyed a power surge this year. But he is 24 years old, playing in Double A, and the Phillies don't really have a need for a 24-year a 24-year-old double A player. I mean, I imagine he'll be 25 playing in Triple A this year, but you have Bryce Harper now who's going to be at first base for the foreseeable future. You don't have a need at DH for the next few years. I am surprised they haven't 
traded them or they didn't swing a trade, but perhaps most teams knew that they were, that the Phillies were going to leave him unprotected. So uh, an interesting decision seems like a, seems like a pretty good prospect to just give away for free. Although, you know, the odds are long that these players sometimes stick on a team for the entire season. Uh, the Phillies of course had to, had to offer back the, the rule five selection that they made last year, that kid from Navy, who's now just uh, the, the name's escaping me. Uh, to, oh, Noah Song, the guy they got from the Red Sox, they had to offer him back because uh, once he came back from his injury, there was just no room for him on the Phillies' uh, 26-man roster. All right, let me get to the last thing here. Teams that need a title the most. I thought this was an interesting article at MLB.com. Will Leach rank the teams in most need of a title in 2024? And I'm kind of surprised where he had the Phillies. He had the Phillies in at number two. Maybe even more surprising was his number one team. They're the team that won the World Series in 2020, the L.A. Dodgers. Now, of course, you know, the Dodgers have had this 100-win team year after year. I think a lot of people look at that pandemic title that they won in 2020, and a lot of folks just don't remember it. It was not a memorable World Series except for that that one game uh, with the Phillips uh, walk-off hit that ended in insanity. Uh, but it's just, it was it was a weird postseason. It was a weird playoffs. And, and the Dodgers have had so many great teams over the last five, six, seven years and only have one World Series to show for it. That's the argument from Will Leach is that this entire run by the Dodgers, and you want to you just know how hard it is to win a World Series. Look at the Dodgers. They've had these great teams. They've won one World Series and it was during the pandemic shortened season in 2020. Will Leach writes about the Phillies and what he says about them here in this first sentence kind of hits me in the in the feels a little bit here. He wrote, this sure felt like the year for the Phillies, didn't it? It did, Will. It very, very much did. He says, after improbably reaching the World Series last year, they were on firmer ground this year, taking out the Braves in the NLDS for the second year in a row and riding a cavalcade of homers and a roaring home crowd to a 3-2 lead in the NLCS over the D-backs. Then it all went sideways on them, and the second straight World Series appearance that was supposed to be theirs had slipped through their fingers. I mean, that is what a description of what we experienced, and, and that absolutely captures the ennui. Uh, this is still a stacked team, Will writes, and it still has Bryce Harper, but you can't help but wonder if these are opportunities they won't get back again. Harper has been such a postseason highlight machine, it's tough to remember that he does not, in fact, have a World Series ring yet. The Phillies are going to get him one, right? And of course, that's that's the big question here. And Jason Stark noted in his athletic article about the task that is facing the Phillies this year to get back to the World Series. Jason Stark said it's super hard to do what they're going to attempt to do this year. Since the dawn of division play in 1969, only one team, the 2004, 2005, 2006 Cardinals, have done what the Phillies will try to do, and that's lose a World Series, make it back to the League Championship Series the following season, and fall short and then grind through a third season and finally win it all. Only the 2004-5-6 Cardinals have managed to do what the Phillies will be looking to do. And so one of the one of the main ideas in, in Stark's article is like, this Phillies team could take a step back this year. It's more likely they will take a step back this year than take those final steps that they haven't been able to take. I mean, Bryce Harper and all those guys, they can say, we'll be back as much as they want, and maybe they can will it to happen. This is a special group of players. Bryce Harper is a special player. This team likes to spend money. They spend, they, they spend money on the right players most of the time. And they are, they are super well positioned to make another run at it. 
But, you know, who knows? Maybe, you know, you're the top wildcard team again next year and you lose in the wildcard round. And then, and then you really start talking about needing to make changes to a team that's going in the wrong direction like that. So it's more likely the Phillies finishes the second or third wildcard and maybe they don't get out of that first round. Maybe they don't get out of the NLDS. Or maybe they do. Maybe they make it back to the NLCS and they fall short there. It's just, it's really unlikely that the Phillies are going to go all the way next year. But that's why you go through this, that's why you go through the the regular season, that grind, the 162-game grind. And yes, I still would feel better about the Phillies winning the division than winning a wild card, despite all of the hue and cry about the playoff format. I'd rather play one less series and just go, (laughs) have to get through NLDS, NLCS, and then World Series. But, um... You know, that's that's still a long ways away from from uh, being something we even need to consider. So I thought it was interesting that they had the Phillies at number two. Uh, he had the Yankees at third, Mets four, Guardians five, Rays six, Padres seven, Brewers eight, Mariners nine, Braves ten. I'd probably have the Yankees ahead of the Phillies on this list, given given all the, the hand-wringing that's going on there. Um, you might even could put the Mets ahead of them on this list. You could put the Padres ahead of them on this list because the Padres haven't ever won a World Series. The Mariners have never been to a World Series. So, But I think if you're looking at the state of the roster, the veterans on the Phillies, all these different factors from these last two years put into place, the, the fan base at a fever pitch... I get it. Like the clock is ticking. The, bi- the Phillies' biological clock here in the, for, to get it back to get a World Series title to get Bryce Harper a ring during his prime is ticking. And that's the thing I, I think you know that was mentioned in both of these articles, the Jason Stark article and the Will Leitch article. H- how we don't know how many more years of Bryce Harper's prime do we have left? Now he's he's in his early early thirties. So he may have two or three more years of prime Bryce Harper left. But I know he wants to play until he's 45. I know he wants to have a Phillies uniform on until then. And maybe he's going to be a great player well into his 30s. If that's the case, then great. But Bryce Harper, the Phillies have already burned through. See, what was it? 2018? No, it was 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022. Five years of Bryce Harper. They've burned through five years of Bryce Harper without a World Series title. They've gotten to a World Series, but they don't have a title to show for it yet. And it's hard to win a World Series, as 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 the article was was making clear, and as we as we've seen these last few years. The Phillies had a better team in 23 than they did in 22 and didn't get as far. And that's the way it goes sometimes, because some of the other teams around you maybe are a little bit better, or you run into a fluky team, or you have two bad games at home. You have two bad games at home where players, hitters kind of just lost their minds and bowed to the pressure in some spots. And you had some weak links in that lineup that you couldn't get around. And all of a sudden you're out. And so, yeah, I get it. I think the reason the Phillies are at number two on this list is strictly because of Bryce Harper's prime and the fact that there just isn't a lot of it left. Same with Trey Turner. Like, you're not. You're only going to have Schwarber, Turner, Harper, um, Real Muto in their prime like this for a certain amount of time. How much more time does Zach Wheeler have left? I know they're going to sign him to an extension more than likely, but he's getting up there in age two. 34 years old. How much more prime Zach Wheeler do you have left? It's just, it's a, it's worrisome that maybe they missed their opportunity. 
But you can't do anything about it now. All you can do is put the right pieces in place, try to give yourself uh, another shot at it here. And uh, that's what Dave Dombrowski and the Phillies are going to do here during the offseason as they try to uh, see what the trade market looks like and what free agents might be available as well. Um, We're going to do a shorter episode of the podcast here uh, for this edition. As Again, we're just kind of sifting through rumors and stuff right now. Uh, But that will do it for this edition of Hit and Season. But I do want to encourage you to make sure to check out our homepage over at Billy Penn. Frankly, go to BillyPenn.com each and every day for the best news in Philadelphia. I mean, you just get great stories about everything happening in the city. Uh, but you also want to check out our landing page over at Billy Penn. It's at BillyPenn.com slash Hit and Season. And check out all of our blogs. Myself, Justin Clue, we are both writing blogs about the fills right there. You can also check out my stuff at The Good Fight as well. Uh, and check out our Hit and Season Patreon. That's where Justin and Trev and Chris Jones do some of our extra podcasts. Uh, you can go to Patreon.com slash Hit and Season to find all that stuff there. You got to sign up and, and, and donate a little bit of cash here to help us out. Uh, but your contributions are most appreciated by us as we continue to try and take you through the Phillies uh, and and this wild ride that they always seem to take us on. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time right here on Hit and Season.